The biggest news this week is a general sense of economic ennui that is rocking commodity desks across the globe. On today's episode, you'll hear about disappointing rate cuts from the PBOC, bank slashing growth estimates for 2023, and why all eyes are still on China. All this and more on Freight Up. And welcome to Freight Up. My name's Fernanda, and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. This week's episode boasts rousing updates from our steel, iron ore, and fuel oil desks. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, our website, or wherever you leave reviews for podcasts. All right, so joining us this week covering the fuel oil update, it's none other than our very own Whitney Houston. Ricky Foreman. How are you doing, Ricky? (laughs) Yeah, morning. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. You okay? Doing well. And you're filling in for Archie because he had a lads weekend in Barcelona. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whilst the cat's away, the mice will play, as they say. (laughs) So Uh, he's physically here today, but mentally and spiritually, he's still in Barcelona. uh, He shot to bits, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on in the market, Ricky? Well, I I wish it was as exciting as Archie's weekend away. Um, (laughs) Well, nothing can be that exciting. (laughs) No, market's been fairly stable given our usual oil market. It's been pretty boring. There's a few concerns out there. Obviously, the market's predominantly focusing on demand side and where the demand's going to be coming from for the rest of the year. All eyes are on China, as you would expect. But it's not looking as rosy as... I think people or the market uh, initially were hoping for. Their economic data has been coming back increasingly disappointing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we've seen them at the beginning of the week change their interest rates, bring them down, obviously trying to encourage a bit of spending and get, get people out there and start increasing the demand. But their own Petroleum Corp have uh, revised down their growth for this year. I think it was around the 5% mark, and they've revised that down to about 3.5%. So it's sending quite worrying messages and signals to the market. And as a result of that, a lot of a lot of clients out there are just sitting on their hands because if there is not going to be any uptick in the demand, then naturally you would expect rates to start coming off. And, you know, why a client's going to want to go out there and, and start covering positions when, you know, we could see a couple of dollars come off of the, or even more come off of the, the Brent price. So This is on the back of pretty much every other major bank announcing cuts on their yep. growth estimates. So the banks have been revising down their, you know, their, their average prices for the Brent for the remainder of the year. And we've seen that across the board. So again, it's like, you know, there's a lot of negative sentiment out there, really. Interestingly enough, just speaking to a couple of prop traders yesterday evening, the guy basically gave his team the challenge of trying to find one positive bullish piece of news, you know, might be able to kickstart the market and, and get things pushing again. Oh, how and, they do. Well, they, they couldn't come up with one Oof. one answer. We really struggled. There wasn't anything really concrete that any of us could, could find that would say, you know, well, we're bullish because of X, Y, and Z. There was no reasons. So last week, the market was getting some support from U.S. petroleum reserves being refilled. What's going on with that? The support was there last week because of that. Um, you and know, gone but, it, but, it, but and gone. Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that influence the play on this market. Um, she's a fickle mistress, huh? Yeah, she's tough. <laughs> she's tough. You know, but again, I, but even from the U.S. reserves, again, in my mind, it wouldn't make any sense them continuing to fill the tanks if. 
the overall sentiment in the market is a negative one. The Brent's trading around 75.90 um, today. It's pretty flat on the day. We've got support levels down at around the, the low 74 levels. And if they hold, then in the short term, technically, it's kind of leaning towards a stable, maybe, you know, a bullish argument uh, purely from a technical point of view. But if we start to see those levels dip below the 74s, then if you start looking at Elliott Wave Theory, then again, the technical analysis is showing that we could uh, definitely smash through 71.50 level. So we're trading near 76 today, possibly get down to 71.5 if all of the support levels get taken out. That's quite a substantial drop. So I think there's a lot of smart people out there in the market, a lot of smart clients, and I just don't see why they would come in and start hedging around the 76 levels when they've already got the exposure on the books, they've got a view on the market, obviously similar to, to my to my own belief as well. I think it comes off. So I think if we start seeing this, then we'll start seeing the clients stepping in when the Brent is trading around the lower 70 levels. James Robinson and I were actually just discussing the power of sentiment in commodity markets because from the iron ore desk, the looks of it are that there isn't a concrete thing that we're waiting for to actually affect the markets. Is the fuel oil mm -hmm. market looking the same? Yeah, I was going to say that's a very good way of explaining it. it. It feels exactly the same as that. There is no, let's say, positive news on the horizon. There's nothing in the diary. I think the market was expecting to react in a very positive way or more positively after Saudi Arabia made those cuts of the million barrels, which was unexpected. We saw an initial tick up and then complete erosion. So I think that in itself gives you a very strong feeling about A, what the market thinks fundamentally and sentiment wise. What other bits of news are your clients going to be looking for that we haven't covered yet? Long weekend. So we've got, we've got, <laughs> we've got China on holidays on Thursday and Friday. Oh. Um, so again, we're expecting the market to be very quiet towards the end of the week. And again, barring any kind of, you know, outrageous headlines, either negative or, or positive, we're, we're not expecting a lot of volume to be going through uh, this week. Hopefully it will start to pick up at the beginning of next week. But I think everyone, like I say, everyone is just really sitting on their hands at the moment. Wait and see what's going to be coming up on the horizon nothing's planned yet. No one really knows. So I think it, it feels like the market's in a bit of a holding pattern until we really get an idea of, um, you know, trending in direction. Fascinating stuff. I guess we'll all be joining you in waiting and seeing then, Ricky. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week and for filling in for our beloved office, uh, Backstreet Boy. Uh, you want to sing us a tune before you go? Uh, I, I had uh, one too many drinks last night. I'm going to give that one a miss. <laughs> <laughs> I get to hear them when I go back to my desk, but that's that's privilege for, for FIS staff only. Exactly. Internal use only. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you so much, Ricky. No problem at all. Let's catch up with our steel broker, Joshua Stern. Hi, Fernanda. Thanks for having me this week. Looking forward to uh, having another chat. Have I got a question for you, actually? I recently learned that there's a bit of a data discrepancy between the EU HRC and the US HRC. Yeah, indeed, Fernanda, there is quite a discrepancy in between the US and the EU HRC markets in regards to kind of the data that is made available to people. In particular, one thing that I noticed over the last couple of weeks through discussions with clients is that there was a desire to actually get an idea of where the community is actually going to be positioned, right? 
where are your producers positioned? Where are your speculators positioned? Where are your hedgers positioned? So this is something that's readily available across various different commodity futures, uh, so across the entire energy space, across the entire metal space, as well as then ags as well. So this is data that is very sought after. It is something that is already out there, but since the EUHRC contract is A, so new, and B, it hasn't really picked up as much liquidity as, say, the U.S. counterparts, what we kind of saw is that, yeah, they actually weren't reporting on positioning for the EUHRC contract. I guess my question then, Josh, is how are you going to fix it? What we did is I went in the other day and I decided to go ahead and look in there and try and figure out, is there a way that we can essentially kind of create a synthetic or an estimate of where actually European positions are. So what I did is I essentially kind of used some OI data, some volume data, some price data, as well as on the positioning data. And I created kind of a little algorithm to get me back to what I believe are our estimates of the EUHRC positioning. So in particular, gonna be based upon that fund community, really going to be looking at, yeah, kind of what is going on in that fund community. That fund community has been net short for significant amounts of time, but we're starting to see that net short actually unwind a bit as we start to get kind of towards the back end of this year. Right now with EUHRC prices having gotten a little bit of a bounce here, we're starting to see a little bit of a trimming of that short positioning. So this indicates that more and more funds are kind of coming into play and are starting to buy back their shorts, meaning they're getting a little bit more bullish. Just a really easy way for us to get an idea of where that spec community is, how are they positioned, and what are they doing in the markets. So very transparent data really gives people an insight into into positioning that wasn't previously there. Sounds like you've got the inside scoop here, Josh, on the data discrepancy between U.S. Uh, the U.S. contract and the EU contract. What other big news is going on in the steel community? Some of the other big news, kind of right now in the steel community, is very much so in and around the um, in and around scrap prices. So scrap prices have been coming off pretty significantly here in the short term. You know, we were just trading up at about 400, and now there looks to be an expectation of further downside potential here going into the second half of this year. So you're starting to see a lot of people who would you know, be, you know, typically would be purchasing or would be hedging out their purchasing costs for things like scrap right now, um, who aren't really interested in actually buying scrap because they are afraid that on the physical side, the prices will continue to fall. So. You're really kind of seeing, you know, especially from your EAF community, people are a little bit reluctant to actually go ahead and source scrap at the moment, at least in, in Turkey, at least in Europe, Southern Europe very much so. I just heard that that was quite a bit of a discussion of, yeah, not wanting to get stuck with high input costs there and reducing margins. So I think that that's really kind of the um, topic of discussion at the moment. Other than that, you've also got uh, today is a pretty big release day here. We've got the second to last CRU release for the USHRC contract. You've also got the Fed speaking today. So Jerome Powell will be talking about interest rates. Obviously, there have been discussions that interest rates are going to remain high here for the foreseeable future. I think that this is also something very important to note because I've been calling for it for the last couple of weeks anyways, but I think we're really starting to now see the curves really start to react to these high interest rates. 
you know, the scrap curve, for instance, was already in a contango formation last week. You're now starting to see the EUHRC curve get into a similar formation. Once this June contract rolls off, you're going to start having SEP Aknov. So basically, the second half of this year is really going to be out in a contango curve. This is really good because it goes in and lets you go ahead and kind of sell out for margins um, and brings quite a bit of opportunity out from the uh, into the market. Fascinating. That's something we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on because there seems to be a bit of a discrepancy between what the curves are showing and what the technical reports are kind of indicating going forward. Right now, what we're also kind of seeing is there's a bit of a muddled view as to where is the economy going. We're still in a very high interest rate environment. You still believe that interest rates are going to be buoyed up at this level for quite some time here, at least for the next two years. I think Powell just put something out the other day. Um, or the, the Fed put something out saying, you know, between about 4% next year and then about 275 to 3% um, from two years from now. So again, you know, high interest rates are here to stay, make storage of material significantly, significantly more expensive as, of course, you're paying the interest. Um, so yeah, I think that this is a very, very good time to actually go ahead and kind of start using that derivative market to go ahead and lock in future sales and then go ahead and use your physical against that. So without having to actually hold that physical price risk, you can go ahead, use the futures curve and sell out further. So for instance, if we're looking at something like, uh, you know, October EUHRC trading 665 on screen right now. You know, this would be a great opportunity to go out into October and start selling some, some, uh, some HRC out there at 665 and just locking in that sale price, knowing that that's where you're going to be selling that. So really easy way to go ahead and kind of use, use the curve, make use of these contango environments and really start getting an idea of, um, yeah, how one can actually make use of the derivative market. It sounds like this is really going to be an opportunity for people to reap the rewards of investing in risk management. So we'll definitely have to see how things look when the dust settles. Absolutely. Today is going to be very important, especially this afternoon. Really, this Fed release or the Fed funds release today is going to be very important as it's going to have a huge impact on where we actually go ahead and kind of see you know, pricing going forward. And it's just going to further, it's going to further cement the fact that interest rates, you know, high interest rate environments are here to stay. Um, so really, really going to be thinking of that. And that's what I'm really taking into consideration. One thing that was actually very interesting to note, um, and that actually phrases really well for kind of the rebar market and the steel markets in, in the U.S., in particular also rebar, is we actually just had a month-on-month gain of about 20%, almost 21% on housing starts in the United States. Whoa. I mean, that is a huge release, right? So this is very, very bullish at the moment. We're looking at somewhere kind of 900 mark right now there in uh, in the USHRC. So obviously there have also been um, upward price movements by Nucor, by Cleveland Cliffs raising their, raising their offers to 900 and 950. So there is a little bit of upside potential. Could well have to do with a little bit of bullishness coming out of the US basis housing starts. So let's see. We'll have to keep an eye on that. And I expect that you'll be here to report back on any moves by the Fed next week, Josh. Absolutely, we will be. And actually, I think what we're going to be doing, um, so I know many of you already are familiar with our blog posts here, but this is also something that we have been regularly pushing out on LinkedIn. Gives you a little bit of insight into how one can make use of the derivative markets, what the steel and scrap derivative markets are like, um, yeah, how they trade, how it clears. But I think next week, what we're going to start to do is we're going to start to focus actually on you know these curves, 
because I really believe that looking into these curves and understanding the opportunities that the curves give you via their pricing, it's going to be very beneficial to understanding how traders can actually go ahead and lock in margins on a forward basis. So that's what we're going to focus on next week. Feel free to reach out here. Good name drop. The title of your last blog was actually Margins and Clearing, right? Yeah, so Margins and Clearing was my last blog. Um, that was a little bit of a of shorter one um, just to give people an idea of yeah how clearing, how cleared markets operate, how margins work. We got a lot of questions in and around. I put down a margin, but I don't get it back at the end of the trade. You know, a margin is basically a deposit. You will be getting that, that cash back at the end. Um, so it is, it is no different than if you go and rent a car and put your Amex down and say, okay, you know, $5,000 deposit in case I crash the car. It's no different than that. At the end, of course, you get it back. If you put a ding in the car or if you put a ding in your position, you obviously owe a little bit of money. Unlike a car rental, if you make money on your trade, then you would receive more than your, than your margins back. So that's where you kind of receive your profit. All right, find a link to our blog posts in the description below. Any questions on that, feel free to reach out directly. Joshua S. at FreightInvestor.com. And we're happy to discuss. Thank you so much, Josh. It was very educational as always. And we'll hear back from you next week. Sounds great. Fernanda, thank you for having me and look forward to speaking with you guys again next week. And here to give us an iron ore update, James Robinson. How are you doing, James? I'm very good. Uh, the weather has perked up here in London, which has been, uh, yeah, lovely. We have sunshine, which is... Uh... Yeah, it's <laughs> rare occurrence worth celebrating. <laughs> Don't get used to it. So diving right in, Tuesday morning, the People's Bank of China rate cut. What's been the reaction from the iron ore community so far? This week's interest has definitely been more to the sell side. Last Friday, we closed at... 114 and a half, which is a two month high. So the highest level seen in the market since April. This week, we started out pretty gradually. In yesterday's uh, London afternoon trading session, that became a little bit more aggressive. So we closed out nearly $2 lower on the afternoon at 111.30, which is a pretty significant move. It does have to be said, though, that the general feeling in the market has been pretty frustrated um, mm. at the slow rate of stimulus announcements. You know, we, we keep getting drip fed. We keep coming back on the podcast and saying, you know, <laughs> that, that, that we're expecting more to come. And then we sort of get these very gradual in increments. So the rate cut, whilst a step in the right direction, was viewed uh, by some as a little bit disappointing, a little bit on the conservative side. You know, there were some analysts saying that the bank could have and should have gone a little bit further. And that view, in my opinion, has been backed up by the market ticking lower over the course of this week. That's fascinating. So it just sounds like so far, the efforts to kind of spur that economic rebound post-COVID have been pretty underwhelming. We do keep hearing reports of, of various meetings going on between government officials and industry leaders and the NDRC and all the rest of it. And uh, we have had several leaders come out and say that, you know, these stimulus policies need to be robust and they need to be effective and they need to be imminent. And when the time comes, they will properly move on it. It's just not coming to fruition in any sort of scale at this point in time. Well, exactly. At this point thus far, it's been mostly rhetoric. And like you said, it's been drip fed rhetoric, which mm. is even worse, I feel. So, but the other big news story that kind of piggybacks on this is those growth estimate, I guess, slashes 
is the best Mm. term that we can use here because that's Mm. exactly what's happened. They've just been absolutely cut this week um, by institution after institution. Mm. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, HSBC were uh, definitely the most aggressive in their revision, slashing forecast by a full 1% from 6.3% to 5.3%. So pretty significant readjustment there. I would just mention that uh, as countries develop, their economic structures tend to change and that can bring about some growing pains. And China is looking increasingly like it's going through that process. So rather than sort of looking at this through a cyclical lens, there are some underlying structural changes that need to be made as the country develops. So we mentioned last week that China's national debt currently stands at three times GDP. And earlier today, it was announced that the government is launching investigations into so-called hidden debt at the local level. That's debt accrued by state-controlled companies, but it's not on the government books. So debt is clearly a concern for the national government. And so these big industrial debt-driven stimulus packages that we've seen for the last sort of 20 or 30 years uh, are probably not going to be quite so extensive in the future. And What we're seeing at the moment in terms of this ongoing debate and this frustration from the market and this sort of reluctance to come out with anything market moving and big at the state level may just be the first page in that chapter. So it sounds like you think that this type of structural change could be indicative of a shift in economic strategy for China. Yeah, it certainly could be. What we could potentially see is is these sweeping government packages become less effective as the economy sort of transitions more into a mixed economy with more private investment and the state taking less of the burden for economic stimulus. The issue with that is that that is much harder to control from a central government standpoint. And so we're probably not going to see these kind of market shifting on a dime announcements that we have done in the past. All right. So, James, it sounds like we'll just have to keep waiting here for our next uh, drip fed announcement and look forward to what could be an increasingly rare government stimulus. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for us this week. If you have any questions, comments, or just want some place to hang out, check out FreightUpPodcast.com, where you can reach out to any of our expert brokers about any of your commodity questions. We'll see you again next week. Next week.